Hello and welcome to another episode of Business School. My name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. And my name is Phineas Ellis. I am the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. This is a show where we explore the many glamorous and scandalous aspects of consumer startup culture. In today's episode, we're going to talk about employee empowerment. There is a lot of discontent for many employees at consumer startups today. Some are complaining about the wrong things, inconsequential things, and just need to focus on doing the job they're hired to do. But some companies have legitimately toxic cultures, and employees of those companies are justified in speaking out together for change. This is today's focus because a story just came out about Glossier, which, by the way, just raised $100 million at a $1.2 billion valuation. And the story is about how former retail employees organized and spoke to the press about how Glossier has at times perpetuated a culture that is not inclusive and in some cases racist. The company's founder, Emily Weiss, has since apologized to her former employees and laid out a plan to create a more inclusive and supportive culture. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time on Glossier today because in episode three with Eva, we touched on a lot of this stuff. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. But we are going to dig into employee empowerment and how leaders are ultimately responsible for creating a supportive inclusive, positive culture for their employees. And I'd like to start with a quick story to set the backdrop for how a lot of high-performance teams used to and maybe still do operate in finance and consulting. I remember when I was a consultant, I did prior to business school, we were working outside of Columbus, Ohio on a project. And I remember doing a review of a slide deck that we were going to present to the management team of the company we were consulting for. And the the head of our of our group was there. He'd come in for like once a month and we're reviewing the slide deck with him and somebody put a slide up and he was like, oh man, this is terrible. You know what I want you to do? You got to delete this. Actually, don't delete the slide, print it out, light it on fire, burn it. I never want to see it again. Then you can delete it from the slide deck. That was the worst slide I've ever seen. And he was kind of known for just being like over the top with stuff like this. And he was like, when you got to know him, you'd if he did it to you, you'd be like, haha, okay, thanks, Mike. Like, fuck you, but whatever. And you develop tough skin, like thick skin. That's not the culture of today. No, the person he said it to took it to heart. She was new on the team and it was like demoralizing. Yeah. You just there's no need for that. Like, it's not helpful. She didn't learn anything from that experience. It was pretty bad. It's an outdated culture. This is this, this is my yeah. thing politically, too. It's like, look, this is an outdated culture that at the time was widely accepted, might not have been okay, and probably was still inappropriate in many ways. It's just an outdated culture. The, the woman the woman he yelled at laughed about it two days later when we we're all at the bar, and she was yeah, like- Yeah, but to hang on to these outmoded company cultures just for nostalgia purposes, and just because it's the way that your parents did it, or it's the way that I grew up, doesn't make any sense. I had to walk uphill both ways. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it's like, okay. It's just not the way it is today. We don't have to do yeah, it Yeah, it way. doesn't add value to your company. Don't have to do it that way. And it doesn't cost you anything to change. And employees are starting to call out the companies that they work for when they don't want to tolerate this type of treatment anymore. The idea that current and former employees both are a growing group of people that are either satisfied or unsatisfied with their experience working at that company. And they are a very direct reflection of the company itself. And the longer these startups are around year over year, the larger that group of former employees gets. And therefore, if the sentiment with those employees is positive, 
then great. You have a growing group of advocates that are going to spread the company and it's going to continue to fuel your growth. But if the sentiment is not positive, then the reverse will happen. And I think that's what you're seeing happen with, I think, many of these companies, if not most, the through line is current and former employees because they're the ones that are getting together, having drinks after work and lamenting their jobs and expressing their frustration about their work environments. Those groups are getting bigger. And then they are the ones going to the media outlets that are exposing these companies and then putting public pressure on the founders to step down. To your point, we're not going to speak to the social dynamics at play of the female founders versus the male founders and whatnot, but rather focus on the employees. Yeah. It, you, you, you brought up a good point that these startups have been around for so long that for a while we just celebrated them and everybody was enamored with their rapid growth and their excessive spending at times, but just how these seem to be the best places to work. There were free snacks, ping pong tables, unlimited vacation days, free flowing alcohol, crazy parties. People really leaned into this idea of, you know, work hard, play hard. I love my, my fellow employees and we're all on this like crazy journey together, reinventing everything. And now a lot of these startups have been around for long enough that we're starting to see the ugliness behind the scenes of many of these companies. And, and to your point, if the employees, current and former, are, are happy and satisfied for the most part, no company ever has 100% satisfied employees. You always have people that are in the wrong role and they end up either quitting or getting fired. But for the most part, if you have happy employees, then that's great. That's a good reflection on, on the culture. And what we're seeing now, a lot of these companies is many of them have ugly cultures behind the scenes and it's starting to get out, whether it's through existing employees or former employees, eventually the word is going to spread. And that has very, very large implications and negative ones on the company now. Yeah. It's so funny when I talk to people that are part of these groups that are frustrated or angry and are reaching out to publications to try to um, yeah, what do you guys talk about? You're grabbing beers with, with folks. And Look, I've been part of this community for a long time. So most of my contemporaries at this point are relatively senior at these companies because they've been around so long. But when I was, I have lived through the many stages. I've been entry level, you know, I've been mid-level. And on some level, part of it is just a normal frustration with your place of work. I mean, it, there is something comforting about shitting on your boss after work or shitting on your company after work because you worked really hard that day and you're burnt out and need to blow off steam. That's normal. Where it starts to separate away from that normalcy is when the group starts to get bigger and the themes are consistent. So when certain things start to come up over and over again, and the group that is frustrated by that specific thing is more than two, three, four, five people, that's when I think it's more of a reflection of a bad culture internally than it is just normal frustration. Yeah. The other point I'll make on that is it also, I think, matters how frequently you're getting those drinks to blow off steam. I think everybody does it every <laughs> once in a while. I have been in scenarios where we're doing three, four nights a week. And yeah, you should probably leave that company then. Yeah, th that's a different thing here. And then I think too... To your point, these companies have been around long enough that it graduates from getting beers and blowing off steam to let's organize and start to talk about our experience. You know, let's actually organize out of office, out of a social setting 
and talk about our experience. I've known about these. There are many groups like this, and they've been they have been slowly forming over the last handful of years. And there are more that have not come out yet. And so to me, there's a big distinction between blowing off steam and organizing around the issues at the company you work at. Okay. Here's what management should have discussed with employees well before it got to the point of the meeting in groups outside of work. Create an environment that number one, educates the employees that they are responsible for contributing to the culture and then creating safe avenues for them to give feedback on culture or things that they maybe aren't comfortable saying directly to the CEO or comfortable saying to their manager. And you can kind of help guide people and validate for them what parts are actually valid. Like, yeah, that's not okay. This person made you feel bad about yourself and they were rude. And that's not the kind of environment that we are comfortable creating here. Like we, we are very much against that versus like, yeah, you didn't do your job well and you didn't like the feedback you got on it. But you know, if you don't like that, then you, you need to work harder. And we're going to give you this feedback regularly so that you know what you need to do to grow and get to the next level. And we're going to provide that roadmap for you. And that's what you ultimately should want as an employee is to have a, a very clear career progression, which by the way, is, is, is really impossible to do perfectly. But that's what companies should strive to, strive to do. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past, Phineas, startups grow really fast. And, you know, sometimes the company just outgrows people. Yeah. It, it grows faster than they're maturing and they don't like it. And, you know. Yeah, there's there's absolutely a reality of these gr- high growth startups where you join as one thing and the company's growing so quickly that that role that you were currently in and the value that you added quickly ages and you start to sort of feel like rotten fish a little bit, right? It's like a little aged a little too much. So there's a natural turnover and churn at these companies that's at a higher rate than other companies, obviously, um, for a number of reasons. Like I agreed to be paid $42,000 a year and work 12 hour days. And now I feel like my worth is more than that. Or I want upward mobility and there isn't really that many positions for me to go into because I actually don't have any experience because I started here entry level. Or I had a boss that really liked me and now I've been moved around to four different departments and I've played four different roles. And now I'm in a position where the department head that I'm working under now has just been saddled with me because during that restructuring, they didn't know what to do with all of these employees, but they want to stay loyal to you. So they put you in this new department. That stuff, that stuff happens all the time. It, it does. And that's hard. I mean, we, we had a little bit of that early on at Burrow too. And that's the hard part about building a company. It's not starting a company, it's building a company is how do you create a system by which you can provide the transparency to your employees to educate them on this is, you know, this is your career path and what are you interested in? How do we, how do we mold your career here and see if your career interests and what you see for yourself as a growth trajectory lines up with, with the company's goals and if they do, if there's a way to make those go together, let's let's map that out together. Right. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. And we've had we've actually had people leave Burrow who are like, hey, listen, here's what I want to do long term in my career. And we're like, you know, honestly, there's not really going to be a place for that. And like, we love working with you right now, but you know, that's not going to happen in the future. 
And if you have open conversations about it, sometimes it's just like, okay, we can mutually part ways at some point. And that's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Not everybody I has mean, to be a lifer. Yeah. And, and that doesn't always happen. That rarely happens right. like that nicely. It rarely happens that nicely. And also it rare lifers, I think rarely happen. And in order to be a lifer at a company, you have to fall into one of a very few categories. You have to either start at a senior enough level where you can actually add value to a company at multiple stages or two, you are this like fairy tale story of the person who joined at the entry level and worked their way up. Like not everybody's Bob Iger who starts out right. like doing shit work. That does not happen at startups. Very seldom are you going to see somebody that starts at a company really entry level and ends up at a very senior role. It doesn't happen that often. It's very rare. It, I've said this before on the show. The best way to have upward mobility in the startup community is to leave your startup and go join a different startup, right? There is a flip side to this where you can start at a company. I mean, everybody that started at Warby Parker in the early days could have left and gotten a really senior, sexy title at a really small company because they were leveraging the name of Warby Parker. We've been leveraging the name Warby Parker, the former employees there for many, many years. Some good, some bad. But the reality is, is when you start entry level at a company, the company sees you in that light. And it's very difficult to work yourself out of that identity that you have assumed. And so in many ways, in the eyes of Neil and Dave at Warby, I will always be the guy that drove the bus. I'll always be the guy that started early on. And I, you literally drove a bus. Yeah, I drove the, a bus for him. You know, I, I mean, I, it was a marketing thing. It I did a marketing. Like, I did a cross. Everybody knows this, but I, I did a. You weren't driving a Greyhound bus. No, 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 no. But I, I led a cross country mobile marketing tour for the company for a year of my life. And I lived on the road and it was actually demonstrated a lot of trust and they put their trust in me. And I led a, one of the first major experiential marketing tours at the company. And so I take a lot of pride in that. But to them. And this is no fault of anybody there at the time. That's the thing that sticks in their mind. And I think that is the same at any company. And it just takes a lot of work to work your way out of that identity. Now, the best thing you can do, if that's a big concern of yours, is leave. The second best thing you can do, work your ass off. Be willing to take a different role. Put your head down, continue to work, do your job, show up, grind, know what you want, know who you are, and get after it. I obviously would flip those. As a founder and CEO, I would totally flip those and say your best avenue. Of course. No, but you know. Of course. And it's true. You know what solves this though is talk to your founder. Like at, at startups, one yes. of the beauties of working at a startup is you have access to the founders and the senior team. It's a great point. Go talk to them. Like I can tell you there are people at, at Burrow who have come and talked to me and Kabir and Kelly and Mark, and that's our executive team. And they've said, hey, this is what I'm really interested in. And I would like to get opportunities to, to work into that. And if they work hard, we, we do, we give them opportunities. And there's people that have completely switched tracks. There are people who started in CX and then now in operations or they're going into marketing or you know whatever. That's a great point. Yeah, it really matters. Access to the founder and actually showing up and putting time on their calendars and asking them, it really matters. And if it's a good leader, they will set you up for success and it will have an impact on your trajectory. Absolutely. There's a lot of examples of that. That wasn't my story, but uh, it was early It was early on. But you have to speak up about it. Yeah, because I'm not, I can't guess. Like, I don't know if you show yeah. up and do your job well every day and you never tell me that you're interested in this other aspect of the company, I'm not going to just randomly assign you to that. You know what I mean? So you have to speak up about it. It doesn't mean it'll always work out. There's people that are, oh, I want to get more involved in this. And it's like, I don't 
see you as being a strong fit to do that, then you're not going to do it. And then if you want to leave, that's, you know, that's your, that's your own prerogative. I, I, I do agree with you though. It's not always the best avenue to stay. Sometimes you just got to move on. Like no job track is perfect for everybody forever. Yeah. And the only way you're going to get more skills is to jump to another company mm-hmm. and move around and gain experience. And honestly, when you're early on in your career, that's what you should do. No, I absolutely agree. It's more an indication of my personality and individual personalities, how long you stay at a place. But towards the end of, oh, this is the last part of our tangent. Dude, I have never, Burroughs the longest I've ever been at a single company. The max I ever worked at a company before Burrow was two years. I'm the same. And so, the reason I was at <laughs> Orby Parker for so long was because the culture and the environment was great. And look, it's not perfect, but it was great. For me, it was great. But even for me, and this is my last point, but at the end of my tenure there, I did start and, and I was well liked. I worked hard. I did a lot of different things. I was given great opportunities. I did a whole bunch of cool stuff and I'm very proud of it. And it set, and some of my closest friends are still there. And and in fact, their recognition of my personality was demonstrated so positively in that the founders helped me find my next job. Now, even under the positive circumstances that I was in, I definitely still started to feel like, all right, what's my role in this scaling company? What, how do I fit in? You know, and to their credit, they put different things in front of me as options for new trajectories. And they just didn't feel like a fit for me. And I just wasn't as interested. One was real estate, ironically. It just didn't really feel like- Because then you helped us find our real estate. Well, ultimately I stayed in the retail business, but I never was like, like they wanted me to potentially lead, educate myself, take some classes and head up their leasing practice, which was- Yeah, that's less interesting. Less interesting to me, but- For for your personality. Yeah, yeah, less interesting to me. Anyway- I think I stayed about as long as I could. So I want to make a point that culture at a lot of startups isn't really culture. It's kind of been celebrated in the press as ping pong tables, free snacks, alcohol, et cetera, and not enough about career development and fostering a cohesive environment. There's a lot of band-aids that are put over things, temporary fixes on culture to keep people happy. If you're overworking people and then you come over to their desk and pour them a drink at the end of the day, does that fix the fact that they're overworked and underpaid? No, it doesn't. And a lot of these issues start to just bubble up over time. And I think that's what you start to see in a lot of these places. Yeah. And and those things can either be smoke screens or they can be actual indications of a good culture, right? So a ping pong table, good snacks, full company parties, can be either a Band-Aid or a smokescreen covering up a culture that is not positive. Or they can be indicative of a company that gets along really well, doesn't take themselves too seriously, allows flexibility in the workday to take a break and play a game of ping pong. And and you see people congregate at their desk at the end of a long workday, having a drink together at the desk. That's part of the lore of startups. That's part of what makes startups a beautiful thing is young people that are appropriately paid, but they're not making the most money they're going to make in their careers, coming together for something that they deem greater than themselves and having a community where they work their asses off. That's a very positive thing. And that's quite a bit different than the exploitative nature of some of these companies that hire lots and lots of people, pay them lower than market rate and ask more of them 
than is appropriate. And so to me, I don't think that snacks, unlimited paid time off, which is another one that's just like could not be less indicative of a good culture. I want to dig into that. Yeah. They're not indicators at all of anything in either direction. And I, I do want to dig into paid time off as well. I think before we get into that, what's leading into that is this, it's laziness and inexperience. So you have this great idea as a founder, I'm going to sell this product. This is going to be innovative, right? I've figured out this great market opportunity, but oftentimes, not every time, but many times, especially in the consumer startup landscape, there's a lot of inexperienced founders. I, I was one of them, right? In the beginning, I'd never built a company before. I don't know best practices for a lot of these things. And when your business strategy is in and of itself or, or your product is is innovative, you think I'm doing things better than the incumbents, than the industry. So I'm going to do everything different. And you shouldn't do everything different. One example is unlimited pay time off. Oh, instead of giving people a set number of days off, I'm going to let them take as many days off. They choose what when they need to take time off to recover. And otherwise, like we're just heads down working. Everybody loves being here, yada, yada, yada. No. There's a reason why the best companies don't do unlimited paid time off. Unlimited PTO, and I remember so clearly when it first started to happen, it sounded like a great thing. And it, look, also, unlimited paid time off isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like all of the takes that we have on this show, it's all about context. And it's yeah, you know what it's great for when you have like six people super early on and you don't actually need to develop a, a fully comprehensive time off policy. So you're just like, take time when you need it, but like, we're not going to keep track of it. We know you're working hard, whatever. Yeah. And I think that, I think, I think unlimited PTO, when it first started happening, right? It has nothing to do with actually how much time you hope people take away from their work. In fact, you could argue that it is a head fake towards tricking your employees into thinking that they're going to have more time off, but not actually allocating very specific amounts of time or mandating that they actually take a break. So what ends up happening is the level of guilt and a culture of overworking your employees leads to employees never taking time off even though they have, quote, unlimited time to take off, the culture never allows for them to take a break because- They feel shamed if they take- Exactly. They feel shame and they feel like their status at the company in the eyes of the founders and the executives will be lessened if they take any actual time off. Which, by the way, is actually driven by founders. This is something it took me a long time to realize is like, I worked all the time in the beginning and I needed to take time off and I just never did. And when you feel bad about not taking time off and feeling burned out at times, you kind of celebrate. Everybody does, especially in New York mm. and, and definitely in other cities too. But everyone brags about how many hours they work. Yep. How busy they are. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I never take time off. I'm just so dedicated to this job. But it's, it's kind of miserable doing that. And you shouldn't celebrate it. But what I realize is like if I am setting that tone, that's the direction that everyone takes. They take it from me. And on the flip side, if I'm like, hey, I'm taking, and this is what we've been doing recently, it's like, hey, we're in, we're in quarantine. Everyone's mentally burned out for a variety of reasons, many driven by COVID brain. There's been a lot of articles about that. And I was like, I feel burnt out today. I feel burned out, okay? So if you do too, it's okay. And you should take time off. And I was like, I'm taking next week off completely. And as we're recording this episode, this is on a Thursday. I'm taking all of next week off. Yeah, there are a number of things that act as distractions away from the things that actually matter to make a good company. 
to make a healthy culture, the lipstick on a pig analogy. You know, I think that these are things that were the masthead of job descriptions at startups. And look, I have enjoyed many of those perks and they're perfectly fine and positive, but I never took time off when I worked at startups. I never took vacation. I didn't always work really hard while I was at the office, but I never took time off. So I was very aware that my value was being measured more in the amount of hours that I was at the office. Your dedication. My dedication, my loyalty, than my actual value I was bringing to the company. And I think that's really problematic because I think when you're not being evaluated for actually what you're bringing to the company, you're going to just give your entire life over to this job and it's going to provide A, a destructive company culture and B, burnt out employees that aren't going to last and then are going to either leave, get pushed out or quit. And those are the ones that are going to start gathering in large groups and then ultimately getting to the point where that spills over into the media. Yeah, which is, it's funny, the the Glossier article didn't even talk about that per se. Um, what ties it back to a lot of these startups having cultural implosions is they do one or two things wrong that the employees are like, I've dedicated so much of my life for the last one, two, three, four years to this company. And now they're doing this thing that just does not agree with my moral code, my values. I'm out. Fuck this. Like I've had enough. I've already been pushed too hard and I was fine when I was on board with the mission. But now that the company is doing things that are borderline racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever, like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. It's not okay. Yeah. The, the yin and yang of cultivating a cult-like following, the positive and negative sides of that coin. You know, I think a startup at its best does cultivate some level of we're in this together. It's greater than ourselves. We're willing to take a pay cut to work on something and build something together. There is a camaraderie that can at times get close to a cult-like following, can get close to a sycophantic culture of nothing can get in our way and we are operating on a higher plane. There are a lot of positive manifestations of that. There's obviously very public examples of the flip side of that. WeWork is obviously on the other end of that spectrum on a very large extreme, but so many of the companies that we know and love and have been celebrating for many years have been dancing on that line between slightly out of hand, out of control, cult-like culture internally and the negative manifestation of that. And I think it could go either way, even still for a lot of the companies that we are that are out there today, it could still go either way because some of those practices are really useful and positive and are a major driver of growth. And some of them, if taken too far, can become incredibly destructive. It can go either way, but it's not as if it's like up to chance which way they go. What matters is like, does the company actively try to improve their culture and create more? Yeah, is it a matter of time? Like, if for you, you're saying it's just a matter of time, and I'm potentially no. I'm saying, saying it's not just a matter of time. I'm saying I'm saying it's not like up to chance. It's like if the company actively works to improve their culture over time. So let's just assume yeah. that most of these startups have inexperienced founders. And they don't all have it. But when you have inexperienced founders, they're just trying to figure this stuff out. And it's hard enough to just keep this ship 
moving in the right direction. You're trying to outperform with fewer resources, fewer monetary resources, fewer human resources, et cetera. And, and that's hard. And you're going to, like you said, there's going to be growing pains. It's, it's really challenging, but along the way you have to figure out how to, I mean, number one, you have to set the, have, have the right roots up front, set the right groundwork and framework for creating a positive work environment, but you also have to continue to work at it over time. And if you don't, things can get out of control really bad. And then suddenly it spills out into the press, whether it's from existing employees or former employees, or, or you work on it. You actively trim out the people who are negative in your company. It is not always like, it's not like the management and founders are the ones that are like creating a positive culture or a negative culture, but it is their job to manage that and to manage out the people who are negative in the wrong job at the wrong place, wrong time. Doesn't mean they're a bad person by any means. It just means like sometimes employees are just, it's not the right fit, whether it's the company or the job. Um, so managing those people out, doing a really good job recruiting the right people into the right roles, creating a diverse team, et cetera, and then working on career progression and educating themselves, starting themselves with experienced people to help lead the company. All of that is just like, seems like, duh, that's what your job should be. You, you raise a bunch of money from investors. You should be building out an experienced team that can help you build the right type of company. And it just seems to me like a lot of these people aren't. I mean, yeah. Eva made a really good point in our other episode. She was blown away by how many of these companies don't have a human resources department. And it's true. I'm blown away when I hear stories about some, some things that happen at some of these companies. It's like, how do you get away with this? And how, how are you letting this much chaos happen? If I hear about a single rumor at our company, I have to squash it. It's like, no, we need to talk about this as a group and air this out because like, you can't have negative feelings manifest. There's too many other things that are so important happening at your company if you're a high growth startup that you have to be focused on. You can't let these other distractions pull you away because otherwise they're going to turn into massive distractions, which is what's happening to a lot of these companies now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I want to round out this conversation by touching on what I think is the flip side to some of this culture of calling out founders. Some might call it cancel culture. I'm not sure it is, but I'm not sure what cancel culture means anymore. Enough, you had to explain what that meant. What cancel culture was. Yeah, Steven didn't know. It's all right. I can be the cultural liaison here on the show. Um, so when some of these stories broke, when, when, when any of these stories break, people text me, right? People in my community that are in the startup community that work there or former employees or founders or investors, whatever it is. And people's takes on some of this stuff range pretty widely. I think more widely than, than you might expect. The flip side to some of these stories of dictatorial leadership styles, mismanagement, overworked, underpaid employees, a culture of not taking time off. The flip side of that is there is a large group of people that always say, stop complaining. Buck up and do your job. Buck up, do your job. This is not nearly as hard as when I had a job in my era, if you're an old, if they're of an older generation, or this doesn't sound that bad, or you know, or even different industries, right? Like people in finance, the culture in finance has been work until five in the morning and then do some cocaine and then wake up at six in the morning, do another line of cocaine. I don't think they do that more. anymore, but they sorry, sorry, they used sorry. to. Like in the- <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, other industries certainly have also have very aggressive work cultures. And so I guess my question for you is, do you think that this wave of employee empowerment 
are there any examples of it potentially going too far? Should all of these founders be forced to step down? And are we overreacting to some of this stuff? And do the former employees have potentially too much power? So I, I think with any of these stories, if everybody just takes a deep breath and you know waits a couple of weeks, a lot of them will die down to some extent. It's easy to overreact to a single article. If these stories perpetuate over time about a certain company, then yeah, there's, there's definitely truth to it. And that's poor leadership that's going on behind the scenes. And so in those cases, yeah, I do think that the founders should, should step down. And I think in those cases, they have. The, the ones that are really egregious, they do step down. Why do they step down? What are the mechanics of that? If you have employees threatening to walk out because things are so bad, if you don't do anything about that and leadership doesn't take responsibility for it or it's too late for them to take accountability and fix it, then you have to leave. I mean, it happens in any any other job. Like in the sports industry, coaches get fired all the time. If the team's not winning and there's a culture problem, locker room issue. Right, but they have a boss that's telling them, that's firing them. At these companies, these are, these are the leaders of private companies. They don't actually have to the leave. The ownership is like the board. The board. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm asking. What are the mechanics of it? So like, okay, I'm a founder of a company and my employees are revolting against me. Is my board putting pressure on me? Am I worried about yeah. revenue Yeah, they are. Because think about how hard it is to hire more people if like all your employees are leaving, number one. Number two, consumers in this day and age crave transparency and do read these stories. And you have to believe it. It impacts sales to some extent. But don't you think that some of these female founders have stepped down much faster than some of the male founders that have also been through a lot of controversy? Just seems like some of these stories come out and I'm only I'm reading about the company culture for the first time and in the same article I'm reading about the founder potentially stepping down. Yeah. I mean, I think Adam Newman and Travis Kalanick stepped down pretty damn fast when their stories broke. I mean, there was pretty yeah. damning evidence for both of them but there's damning evidence for some of these female founders too. Yeah. The, the Emily Weiss one, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to say. I, my, my initial reaction is, no, she shouldn't step down. She should get way more involved. She has a huge company. And is she ultimately responsible for things that happen at her stores? Yes, but I do view that as like, sounds like she just needs to build a culture of more and, and a structure of more transparency. So these issues can make her way up to her and she can deal with it. But like, she's still curious why there's no road to redemption though. Why? No, these I, I don't think I don't say if, if, you know, if why they're not saying I'm just going to, I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to weather the storm. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to have, I'm well, going to redeem she didn't, myself. She didn't step down. Did she? No, I know. But I mean, like I Audrey Gelman. And, yeah, no, it's a good point. If it's clear that you can't, you don't have control of your own team. Like, yeah, you should step down. But on the flip side, like, should we be putting too much stock into former employees speaking out about, you know, a company not being run right? For certain reasons, yes. If there was actual, like, a culture of perpetuating racism, like, yeah, for sure. If the leader knew about it, then definitely. And if the leader didn't know about it, that says something else, right? That That's what I'm saying. Like, there should be changes then so that they do know about it. And in this whole idea of, like you were saying, some people text you and say, uh, the employees should just suck it up. And yeah, like there's an element of that, that like, I think people have become more and more sensitive over time. And for every group of people that get together and complain about their, their bosses, I mean, you better believe there's founders that get together and complain about what employees complain about. And you should hear the stories that people have. And it's like egregious what people want. And look, there's no single policy that a company can have on any topic, whether it be PTO or otherwise, that everyone's going to be happy with. 
companies are making a set of rules. They're trying to be fair with everybody, but that set of rules is going to benefit some people better than others. If somebody has like, even just take healthcare, it's like if you have free healthcare for individuals, but it costs a lot for families, then people with families are going to be like, man, this healthcare policy, isn't really great for me, but it is great for young single people. So, okay. That allows us to attract like good talent that way. But you know what I mean? There's going to be pluses and minuses there. That's so true. Basically what we're talking about is with employee empowerment is employee rights, right? And Mm -hmm. within this conversation, there's such a built-in level of privilege in that for many of these employees and not all, and I think startups have gotten more diverse and more inclusive. And, you know, when the people talk about employees just shutting up and doing their job, there's an element of it's a privilege to have a job. And why would you speak up and jeopardize your position, right? This is a mixture of things. This is a complex conversation. And ultimately, employees getting together and exposing toxic company cultures is ultimately a positive thing. There are going to be examples of it going too far and having the consequences dramatically outweigh the act itself. But I think on balance, it's a level setting of an industry that needs to be level set in certain ways. And I think that is ultimately a positive thing. Yeah, I think when employees come together to talk about constructive ways that things can be improved, I think it's great. And if really bad things are happening behind the scenes at a company and employees come together and feel like there's silence for speaking out and they speak out about it, I also think that's a good thing. I do think it gets taken too far where people feel like they have the right to complain about everything. And I just, I think people need to be smarter about what they complain about. And do you want to be seen as the person who's always complaining? It's one thing to say to your manager, I don't really feel like I have a firm grasp on like what I'm supposed to do to get promoted. It's another thing to say, hey, we used to do happy hours every week. Now we do it every other week. And, you know, we don't have snacks anymore. What's that all about? A lot of people are upset about that. And it's like, pick your battles. Everyone's got to be smarter. There are so many examples of people just not making rational, practical, smart decisions on both sides. And if you're looking at it from the employee's perspective and your goal is to have upward mobility, to learn a lot, to get good experience, to make good connections, then yeah, don't be the person that complains a lot. But if you're in part of a company culture that is toxic, I think it's a positive thing to speak out. The flip side for founders is the very real reality that every year, every month, every year that companies continue to grow, so does the amount of former employees that have either a good or a bad experience. And every single one that enters that pool will just reinforce and further magnify the reality of their experience at the company that you're building. And so it's just a culture of accountability on all sides. And But I think your point, your many points over the episodes that we've done is well taken in that, look, ultimately accountability falls to founders, but it's a group effort and everybody's part of building a good company. Everybody's part of building an inclusive company. Everybody's part of creating a positive business that sells good products that adds value to people's lives. With that, class is dismissed because I'm, I'm getting attacked by all, all of our dogs here. They're hungry for dinner. All right. Class dismissed. Class dismissed. <laughs>
If you are wondering how you could support this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified when we come out with a new episode. Thank you.